Alrighty, g'day boys and girls, how we doing? It's James Newbury here with Maddie Legg from the Fiber Performance Podcast. We are stoked to have Lucas on board today to be talking with us about all things uh, natural testosterone boosters in the Fiber Performance Podcast episode 13. Oh, this, wow. is, this is going to be epic. I've been wanting to do this one since episode one. So yeah, we're bloody stoked to have him on. Um, for you guys, just as a bit of a background, I'm sure you guys have probably heard, seen, talked about Lucas before from Ergogenic Health. He's one of the top tier um, male health gurus here in Australia, um, and he's getting a lot of recognition all around the world for all of the cool stuff that he does and all the amazing research that he goes deep into on a regular basis and basically giving you guys a really good insight into things that you know can either help optimize um, natural testosterone help optimize um, you know morning and evening routines um, but even more so just the nitty-gritties of all the cool things around the world that we've probably lost contact with kind of like what matt does as well um, so I think we're going to rip in a little bit today, um, looking at some natural testosterone ways that we can, or hacks that we can do, either um, oral supplementation or you know physical things that we can do to expose ourselves to increase our natural testosterone, to not only have more vitality, um, you know, be better athletes, um, improve sleep, improve sex drive. Um, and maybe uh, increase your chances of <laughs> having a little one running around. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so, Lucas, thanks for coming on. Yeah, lads, I'm um, I'm very excited to be here, and it's uh, it's an absolute honour to be to be speaking with uh, both of you. I mean, I've been a big fan, uh, Matt. You've inspired me a lot, and I'm still learning from you till this day. But um, yeah, I'm really stoked to be here and and talk all things uh, testosterone optimization. That's cool. So, um, Lucas, I watch a lot of your, I follow all your podcasts, so everything you do, it's good. I recommend everyone does. It's good conversation starter and some really good information in there. Gets you thinking, you know. Um, some of the stuff that you've been talking about a lot lately, well, over the last year or so, you've been doing a lot talking about testosterone. There's been a lot of the headlines showing how testosterone levels have declined significantly around the world. Um, we could probably talk about a few of our theories about that, but also people want to know how to get it back up. And you've done a lot of research into that and use yourself as a bit of a guinea pig a lot as well. I mean, I'm surprised your balls are still there going from sunning them one day to icing them the next day. So let's talk about a couple of the theories about why do you reckon testosterone has dropped so much? Yeah, I guess there are um, like many major factors contributing to this, but I'd say like first and foremost would have to be um, the exposure to endocrine disrupting chemicals in our environment. I mean, we're now seeing research around different forms of plastic beyond just like BPA that are now being shown to like act as anti-androgens or upregulate aromatase activity, so converting testosterone into estrogen potentially affecting the, the thyroid axis, which then would have like a downstream effect on on um, steroidogenesis pathways. Um, so I think, yeah, first and foremost is like, just I guess like the major exposure that, you know, men are facing today in modern society, even other harmful pollutants such as like um, dirty electricity. So like EMF exposure, 5G, things like that, all of these things have been shown to, at least in some of the rat studies, um, demonstrated like negative effects and harmful effects to testicular function. Um, so I definitely think like exposure, uh, our environment is is a lot more difficult for men to feel like men these days. 
there's an interesting um, feature when you look through anatomy, te- uh, anatomy physiology textbooks and stuff like that, you can often simplify some of the processes for the people out there to realize that with our hormones and with our body, we've, made, you know, we've got a hierarchy, you know, survival, short-term survival takes priority over shagging for fun or reproduction or any of that sort of stuff. So when we're stressed or when we get a stress trigger, and the definition of a stress is anything that creates a change in your body that alters your homeostasis. So it could be electromagnetic radiation, could be toxic exposure, could be um, poison, could be venoms and bites and that sort of stuff. Can also be memories and um, and also society and that sort of stuff. Um, what often happens is part of our innate defense mechanism for those is is preparing for poisons and venoms. So as you get toxic exposure, it often speeds up your conversion pathways to you know so if it's a poison or a venom you know you can froth at the mouth vomit diarrhea sweat you know get it out so we have all these enzyme systems that we can speed up to support detox um lucas mentioned one of those then is aromatase so aromatase is one of those phase one detox pathways another one might be five alpha reductase and but what they do is they convert things so when we're exposed to toxins the these enzymes are needed to convert that toxin and in doing so they speed up and as they speed up, they then take your hormones and drag them through that same pathway and convert them into other things as well. So the simple toxic exposure that can increase phase one detox pathways can increase your conversion of one hormone to another. That can straight away deplete testosterone and increase the downstream products such as estrogen. At the same time as when you are activating that survival ne- mechanism through the HPA axis, it switches off the other axis. So the gonadal axis will slow down, the thyroid axis slows down. So that's where we get this weird-ass hierarchy with modern society being full of, none of them life-threatening enough to like challenge you that will ultimately increase your testosterone, but a lot of these are constant insults that even occur when we're asleep at night. So, you know, if you imagine back caveman days and stuff, at least when you're asleep, you at least get a bit of a break from the stress and a chance for your body to switch out of survival mode into the gonadal axis to drive those hormones or support that adrenal. As we get older, like me, um, my nuts and that don't make as much, so my adrenals have to compensate. So the adrenals then go make some androgens, but if they're already exhausted because I'm not sleeping and that, then it doesn't work. So this is the same. This is a lot of the problems we've got on a simplified model. The problem is there's so many so many of these bloody things. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that can trigger it. Hey, Lucas. So we, that's why we're finding in the researchers so many activators to lower the testosterone and cause those problems. Um, and everyone has a different environment directly. So, yeah. It, it is that saying that um, with so much environmental stresses that aren't actually a stressor in a good way to increase the testosterone, we it's maybe optimal for us to figure out ways that we can hack our current environment to get the most out of it, to try and combat that more, um, which I think you do quite quite well, Lucas. Do you want to explain some of the techniques that you use to increase natural testosterone just by you know simple things that you can do passively? Yeah, I guess um, one of the things that I'm pretty well known for at this point in time when it comes to like male hormonal optimization is icing of the balls <laughs> or icing the balls. Um, <laughs> what did you sure say? Matters. Isables. Yeah, there's actually there's actually a pretty cool website URL that we've actually 
reserved iceyourballs.com. There's actually a, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've actually heard about this, Lucas, before. I believe um, I got wind of this probably a handful of years ago, and I was told that the Chinese weightlifting team was doing this at some point back in the day, maybe in the early 90s or late 80s, somewhere there. Well, actually, I think it was the 90s. Yeah, 90s. And they were they were mixing sauna with icing their nuts just to, you know, pump up that testosterone. So alternating or they're taking an ice pack in the sauna? Ice pack, sitting on an ice pack in the sauna. Yeah, wow. What do you yeah, reckon? Yeah, like, so a, how does the ice work? Other bodybuilding forums, there are some other like underground forums where like guys have just been, that's where I first heard about it, was like on some anabolic minds forums, which I know Matt back in the day used to probably hang out on as well. Um, they were just documenting their like, experience with icing and i remember i think it was about three years ago now um it was like the week before new year's eve and i'm like all right starting january 1st i'm gonna ice my balls every single day for 2021 i think it was um and till this day i've been pretty consistent like i've uh I'm always, i've always got i guess you could say i'm like i'm addicted to ice addicted to icing <laughs> So, you know, but how long do you do it? Like, what's the... Oh, I don't want to... Yeah, just show me directly. But, like, how do you do that? Like, what's your process? What's the protocol for the ice balls? Yeah, so um, the first and foremost number one principle, uh, this is for all guys listening in, is do not ice your skin directly. Um, do not ice, you know, the scrotal skin because that will, you know, it'll burn the skin. So you don't want to burn your balls. Yeah. Um, you want to actually apply the ice up against your underwear um, up against your jocks or underwear and usually do it for like, you know, 15 minutes or so, 15 to 20 minutes. And I usually do that up to three times a day on a, on a big day. If I'm, if I'm, you know, training maybe twice a day, I'll always ice before going to the gym. Um, and then always the final time to ice is always like before bed. And a number of guys have reported massive increases in or increased frequency of morning wood when they do ice before bed. That's interesting. You know what also I've also heard, and you've probably heard this too, Lucas, and maybe you too, Maddie, is that they've shown um, that a huge increase in uh, testosterone and growth hormone in general comes from doing an ice bath or a, or a cooling session before training. So getting that in before the training and, and not so much post-training because we don't want to uh, blunt the that uh, inflammatory response, um, especially for the muscle gain. Um, but we have seen to like increase that uh, that overall yield of growth hormone via an ice bath session or a cold shower session or a a, a plunge or an, or an icing of the nuts um, before you go in and lift weights. Is that uh, am I along the right lines there? Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You want to be avoiding. Um, that's like, I guess that's, that's the main benefit of icing the balls directly is that you can then do it post workout without having to worry about mm. counteracting the the gains that you could have made if you, you know, because we know that you know we can potentially blunt the hypertrophy signaling pathways by um, jumping into a you know into an ice bath post workout. Um, so it makes sense to to obviously like. Um, utilize cold therapy pre-workout um, to get that norepinephrine spike, the dopamine signaling going. Um, so yeah, that's definitely definitely accurate. And then um, 
focusing directly on icing your balls post-workout rather than icing the whole body to blunten that inflammation mm. response. Because we even showed um, James a paper yesterday that showed how antioxidants could inhibit uh, muscle hypertrophy by um, reducing the damage done through the training and therefore reducing the recovery. Have you? I wonder if they've... I haven't looked for this because I typically try to avoid this sort of science, but when they... Um, with these lower testosterone, I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to blame climate change or something for that, because a lot of it we're talking about the altering that um, temperature. But we typically have nuts that hang away from the body and they're capable of hanging a bit lower if we get a bit warmer. Um, actually, it reminds me, I used to have a theory about, um, yeah, I love rock music and, I used to, and disco and stuff like that. But then in modern times, like rap and hip hop, and that's become you know, really popular. But I had a theory, eh? Because back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the disco and the rock, which was obviously the better music, but they had the really tight pants. And so those guys would have had nuts squashed. They would have had less um, testosterone and less um, fertility. Um, so therefore, they would be less likely to breed compared to the rap and hip-hop people who had the big baggy <laughs> pants. So I'm thinking the whole reason why rock and that has de decreased, rap and hip-hop's gone up, is because of the size of the pants in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. That's a cool theory. I've never actually thought of that. I thought about it in the shower the other week. The wife was talking to me about something, and that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> Did I, you know? I can, already, I can already see the graph. It's pants size yeah. and testosterone. So testosterone on the x-axis, pants size on the y-axis. Well, yeah. And then we get that hip-hop, rock, um access are running along the same one well on top of that i've actually heard that some cyclists deal with some issues especially with testosterone and sitting on the bike for five and six hours a day if you're an elite professional cyclist it's not all that good long term for you yeah i can imagine and prostate health for them like yeah. cause it's i believe they're at higher risk of developing prostateitis yep. and also um yeah, other inflammatory conditions of the prostate. Yeah. And bikies, motorcyclists and that as yeah. well, they also get the toxic exposures as yeah. well. So the other thing is, is that cadmium exposure for the cyclists and the motorcyclists and that sort of stuff as well. So they're breathing in the fossil fuels of all the cars and that around them. High sources of cadmium and cadmium is one of the major ones that um, interferes with 5-alpha reductase that wants to turn testosterone into dihydrotestosterone. While we're talking about dihydro, I wanted to ask some of your theories about dihydrotestosterone, Lucas, because it was always looked as the baddie, you know, so we always looked at testosterone converting to dihydrotestosterone that would cause acne, prostate problems, um, you know, beards in women and cystic ovaries and sort of stuff in women or hair loss in men. But um, you're a big fan of a herb Sustanches and stuff like that, hey, that and it works via that dihydrotestosterone pathway. Did you want to mention a little bit about that? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so DHT, and we'll just like give the audience some background. DHT, as many of us probably know, is three to ten times stronger than testosterone itself as far as its um, androgenic potential. Now, the reason why I was so interested in learning about ways to actually increase. DHT was actually due to seeing a number of guys reporting side effects from um, a hair loss medication known as finasteride, which I'm sure both of you are familiar with. Um, and finasteride can elicit an effect um, known as post-finasteride syndrome, where even when the guy stops taking the hair loss medication, he still suffers from side effects months 
and even up to years after um, administration. So this really just caught my attention. I was like, right, so if the main mechanism of action for finasteride is blocking both um, 5-alpha-reductase enzymes and very powerfully lowering systemic levels of 5-alpha-reductase and subsequently DHT, um, we're seeing a range of side effects associated with a lower with low DHT levels, such as um, low mood, uh, low libido, um, lack of confidence, um, and even potentially muscle weakness and things like that. Um, and then I was diving into the literature to learn more about like how DHT can actually affect um, male physiology in a, in a really positive way. Um, and I realized that DHT and its associated metabolites are actually um, the neurosteroids that are produced from DHT have very powerful anti-anxiety effects, um, at least in rodents, and also can increase the production of GABA in the brain, which would explain why it has such a powerful anti-anxiety effect. It's so interesting. That is fascinating because, I mean, DHT's also been the one that they've blamed for, like, roid rage and stuff like that. But again, it's that same assumption that we're talking about, you know, generically talking about things like DHT. But there's multiple forms, multiple different receptor subtypes and everything as well, and different ways that it can work. Mm -hmm. Again, it goes back to balance. Interesting um, things like Korean ginseng. You know, that was always famous as this ultimate male tonic. Um, it's kind of cool plant, man. It grows like, takes like 50 years to grow and grows under the ground. It looks like a little dude. It's got arms, legs, a wing-wang and everything. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that was like with the Asian medicine, oh, we can't give it to women. It's specifically for men, obviously. It's got a wing-wang. <laughs> wow. um, and the whole theory was you grow it when you're like going through puberty and then you harvest it when you're old and then you use it to live forever. Wow. Um, but it works through balancing the ratios between testosterone and DHT as well. So where it raises one, it raises a lot of those androgens, and it does that very effectively. Um, so it'd be a good combo with Sustanti maybe too. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah, yeah. another thing that um, uh, I think you get into a fair bit as well is sunning. So tell me a little bit about getting some sun down around that area and what that could potentially do for you. I know that sun has so many benefits. Um, um, and also, you know, obviously, we don't want to overexpose the sun, but um, getting in that uh, vitamin D, but not only vitamin D, but it does so many other things. I actually I listened to a podcast a long time ago, and it was so fascinating. I was listening to a guy, it was a neurosurgeon talking about the effects of sunlight um, on the brain and actually getting some some red light across different spectrums and actually putting it onto the brain like through the through the nose and some other bits and pieces and getting exposed to sun and what it can do and you know a lot of the studies that we've done so far they're based on people that don't get that much exposure to sun so we're actually getting these results based on like almost like a false pretense so what can what can we look for when we're getting sun what does it do like how is that activation happening and and why would someone want to sun down there are you talking about sun tanning your balls yeah directly? Yeah, yeah cool yeah tell us yeah. about that lupus yeah i mean that was um that was pretty interesting when we saw the initial study it was a long time ago where they um had a look at what happens when you expose the testes to um uvb irradiations and what they noted was that um exposure to this bandwidth of um like a, a you know heat light spectrum um, could elicit an increase in androstenedione. Um, and androstenedione is a, um, it's a secondary, 
technically speaking, there is another backdoor pathway that androstenedione can eventually increase levels of other androgens in the body. Um, as far as like my approach and my protocol, uh, what I think works well um, is actually sunning your balls, but only doing it for like two to three seconds per session. That because it of sounds ridiculous that it. it's like very short. It's just like flashing your balls to the neighbors and then hiding it away. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what I was picturing. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, that's hang a... this has got me really interested <laughs> though. So we sun the balls like, um, is it a particular time of day that we should be sunning the balls? Like, are we talking doing the downward dog at a sunrise? Like, is it affecting via the pineal gland and helping us? It's funny when you talk about nuts and then yeah. words like pineal gland and vitamin D. I'm sitting here trying not to giggle the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but is it a time of day matter? I think um, any so anywhere from like 11 a.m. to like 1 or 2 p.m., that's when the UVB is generally the strongest. I think one thing to really pay attention to and just be cautious of for guys that actually do this practice. Like I know some guys that will do it for up to like 15 to 20 minutes at a time. And I mean, the, the skin in that region is not used to getting sunlight exposure. So your risk of developing like potentially like skin cancer in that region is, I think it would be a lot higher than other parts of the body. So I think realistically, all we need to do is get that UVB microdose exposure just to stimulate um, ATP production in the in the Leydig cells, potentially trigger more and androstenedione. Um, but then there's a whole host of other benefits of just general body exposure to the sun. I mean, activating the um, mel melanocortin system, activating ACTH, other cortisol, things like that. So vasodilator um, too. Yeah. Well, that's what I was asking. When you mentioned that it worked by the adrenist and dion, I never fucking say these words properly. So we're looking at that one when I mentioned earlier that the adrenal glands need to do a fair bit of work to support the um, androgen production. That's where that hormone fits in as well, which is interesting because then I started thinking about that sleep-wake cycles again with the pineal gland and maybe that sun's working via that axis. A couple of the other herbs that work really well in a formulation that also help to act, work on that stress axis is ashwagandha the one of the ways that ashwagandha or withania works is it slows down or modulates the hpa axis so your stress response axis becomes more efficient but then it also activates the thyroid axis and the gonadal axis which tells us when we're under stress and interestingly it's an nrf2 activator as well which protects us from things like electromagnetic radiation endocrine disrupting chemicals and that so maybe it's working through that mechanism but it reduces the burden on the HPA axis to drive a stress response and encourages the rest of the body to do some stuff as well, such as a thyroid and gonadal axis. Tonkat Ali, the way Tonkat Ali works, again, even when you're under stress, Tonkat Ali basically tells the body, calm down your stress response, there's always time for a shag, because <laughs> it lowers cortisol by about... 20% um, increases morning DHEA by about 15%. And then via that pathway, we can get the, to the androstenedione. So I'm just thinking a lot of these things are all matching along the same theory where if we can modulate or and, um, calm down our stress nervous system and our survival response, and if we can activate our thrive pathways with the gonadal axis and everything involved in that, then all of these things together will actually work to get a better holistic protocol. 
That's really cool. Mm. Another thing that um, I've heard is a really good enhancer, and, and obviously lifting weights. So lifting weights is a really good way to bump up natural testosterone. So it's pretty much across the board, everyone kind of is of the consensus that lifting weights is good for anyone at any age pretty well. Um, and it's, and you know, for kids obviously playing and climbing and jumping and doing gymnastics and calisthenics and things like that. And as we get older, you know, jumping into maybe some compound lifts like deadlifts and squats and bench presses and overhead presses and things just to keep that autonomy cranking along. But I have heard there has been some research in the ultimate way through physical exercise to increase natural testosterone and growth hormone is sprinting. So I've heard that this is one of the most effective ways to bump up natural growth hormone and testosterone. And you know what? It's actually so funny that I, when I heard this, it, it, it correlated so well with when I was doing a lot more sprinting leading up to the bobsled season. I was lifting heavy weights and I was sprinting probably every other day or three to four times a week. And that's when I was my absolute strongest. I, you know, my clean and jerk went from on an average, you know, 150 on an average day um, to 160 kilos on an average day. And I felt like I could bust it out pretty much any day of the week. And that was just uh, a mix of jumping in the sauna, uh, jumping in the sauna making sure I was doing some ice bars on a regular basis, getting sunlight, but I was sprinting and I was just lifting weights. And that was, you know, one of the biggest things. And I was sleeping epically well. So sprinting, have you heard of this one? I definitely have. And it was actually part of my, like my protocol when I was trying to get my testosterone as high as possible naturally. I think I got it to, it was like 988 nanograms per deciliter, total testosterone. Um, and I was sprinting twice a week. And I know that sprinting, without a doubt, even subjectively, like the effect and how you feel, like the, the few hours after the session, like you, I don't feel completely smashed and buggered. Like I usually feel the typical effects of what I would feel like if I had a massive dose of Tonkata Lee or um, a big dose of um, Fedosia Agrestis, like that really grounded feeling, just feeling like um, I'm in control like all the psychoactive benefits of testosterone I really felt from sprinting. And as far as the, like the evidence goes, I mean, there was one study in healthy, it was in healthy young men, they um, sampled their blood post sprinting and they saw significant elevations in total testosterone, free testosterone and DHT um, post exercise. And they were doing, I think 30 second, uh, or 10 30 second bouts of their max heart rate. So that's like um, 30 seconds on. And then I think there was followed by a, like a 90 second recovery period. Yeah, rough. That sounds yeah. tough. <laughs> that sounds like a rough workout. Yeah. But also, I guess on top of that too, um, what we've also noticed with a lot of sprinters is that it's amazing for body composition. And that could come oh, yeah. through a multitude of pathways, maybe being the testosterone optimization too, making sure that is, you know, that endocrine system is getting worked out at the same time. But then, you know, probably across some other pathways, you know, a lot of the leanest people on the planet are the people that are sprinting and you just look at them and they have this amazing physique. And, you know, when I was doing sprint training, I was also quite amazed at, you know, the volume wasn't all that high. So you can get an amazing result from, you know, six to eight efforts of, you know, 10 to 20 seconds, and you'll get 
a fantastic result rather than spending 90 minutes to two hours in the gym just pumping weights and trying to get a pump going you could literally just <laughs> walk onto the track warm up hit six to eight reps of you know 15 second sprint efforts and get an amazing result bump up testosterone and get a better body composition lose some body fat and um you know and get this really good cognitive function for the rest of the day you know be short and sharp and get everything done really easily yeah, and that's the physique out of all the Olympians you'd want to steal, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Sprinters' physique, yeah. incredible. Yeah, exactly. That's I think also, I think also those results would translate over into like um, the ergo, like the rower machine. Mm. Um, like, if, I don't know, James. I know you've you probably smash that all the time, but um, like I've done, I've done workouts where I do just one minute on, so sixty seconds on, so as hard and as fast as I can, and I'm sort of maintaining a one minute 30 per 500 meter pace mm -hmm. um per per um bout and yep. yeah I, i'd imagine some of those similar like hormonal or the, the yield on hormonal function would probably occur um following like ergo rowing because it's still like it's a full body yeah. movement activating the back muscles so like it's anything that activates the compound like compound lifts and large muscle groups is where we see the biggest spikes in growth hormone and testosterone. Yeah, I agree. And I also think the the amount of effort that you need to call upon the body to put out 100% effort or a 95 plus percent effort, whether it's on the assault bike, the rower, the ski erg, sprinting on a track, wherever you're sprinting, you have to call upon and recruit so much of your nervous system, your brain function, your thought towards it, your, your intention, all those type it's very purpose based and i feel like when you when you expect or you ask something of your body that requires so much effort maybe that is also part of the response that your body is like holy shit you're shocking me to a degree that is we need all this extra you know growth hormone and other bits and pieces like that too so <clears throat> getting away from say the physical things um maybe like you guys could you know tell the audience what your maybe your two favorite herbs that would increase <laughs> natural testosterone and things that you know would be a cool thing to chuck out Matt, maddie why don't you just like, launch into it well yeah. the problem is i know like this is the reason why like it was quite easy a little while ago one of my favorite herbs was shilajit um, Shilajit had these amazing abilities, but the problem with Shilajit is you've got to get consistency with Shilajit. You've got to find the right material from the right dirt, from the right elevation at the right place, and as soon as they change it, it's different material. Um, so what I've actually done is spent a lot of time analysing what Shilajit's made up of and the, how Shilajit worked, and it worked through two main components. So now you've wrecked me because I don't, <laughs> can't just say two herbs because... If I can't get a good quality shilajit, and I'm not going to go through the 10-year process again of screening all the material and trying to secure it and that sort of stuff because it's so variable. Fulvic acid is one of the main compounds of shilajit. So fulvic acid comes out of decomposed matter. Um, so instead of getting fulvic acid from shilajit now, we've managed to get um, some pretty well good exclusive supplies of this rare earth mine, um, this rare, rare earth minerals that's been dated back to 34 million years at the Holocene e epoch period, where we're actually creating compost material that's millions of years old. So all the polyphenols from all the plants and everything like that, all the minerals and everything like compost breaks down, all the microbes in the soil 
convert all these things and make big doses of fulvic acid. And fulvic acid helps to basically increase the energetics of all the cells, would be a very simple way of saying as fulvic acid will hydrate cells, it'll drive, increase ATP, it just increases the cellular energetics is probably the best description for it, as well as having a lot of other benefits to um, chelate and remove a lot of the heavy metals that we and the cadmiums and toxins that we were talking about before that can create the problem. So that's part of the shilajit that we can get straight from dirt, um, where again we need that element of the dirt, part of our holistic protocols. The other part of the shilajit came from all these elagic acids, elagic tannins, these other polyphenols that were found in the plants that were also breaking down, creating like, it's almost like a fossil fuel that's made basically through this process. Now these things could create these compounds called urolithins, and urolithins are amazing for their ability to build up hormones and improve again mitochondrial biogenesis and that and that was the other part of shilajit that did the work but we're finding urolithins are found in like oak bark like so fermented oak barrels that's one of the reasons why there's that anti-aging element from the good quality whiskies and wines i always talked about um not the alcohol aspect but the urolithin compound out of the barrels um, yeah, that's they, it, that's how maca works. You know, people talk about maca root. Maca converts through to urolithins. Pomegranate um, has got more allergic tannins than anything else I could really find, and becomes one of the best sources of urolithins as well. So, to answer your question, it would have been something like Tonkat Ali and Shilajit, pretty much because I take that every day for the last twenty years. And obviously, I'm a finely tuned athlete, <laughs> sexual Tyrannosaurus, and like like aging back with Benjamin Button style. Was it a Benjamin? Anyway, yeah. Button dude, you know. Um, so great testimony here. Mm. But, you know, athletes like you, whatever. What do you do, Lucas? <laughs> Shil- well, you can't say Shilajit and you can't say Tonkat Ali. Give me two more. I'm not going to say Shilajit, but I am going to say another Ayurvedic herb, um, and it's probably lesser known. Um, it's called Anacyclus pyrethrum, also known as Akakara. Ooh, um, I've never Akakara. heard of this. Give me the lowdown, fire out. Yeah, this is, um, well, when I was looking into the studies, I, I did a YouTube video on it recently where they compared it. They actually compared it to testosterone administration. Um, and what they found was that even after administration of the herb, testosterone levels remained elevated for up to 28 days after consumption. So this may, again, because we don't really know much about the mechanisms of action with some of these, we have a a, a decent idea, but some of these herbs, we just really just don't know exactly how they're working. Um, At least in this sense, we can at least hypothesize that it's potentially upregulating the enzymes, steroidogenesis pathways, maybe the some of the SIP enzymes, maybe even um, three beta HSD, all these other pathways that actually increase um, the conversion of cholesterol into pregnenolone and then pregnenolone downstream. Um, but my subjective experience with anacyclus root or akakara root, um, when I first started using it, I remember experiencing within the first week, noticing an increase in appetite. Um, now in Ayurveda, they do consider anacyclus as a, um, like as a, a Rasayana, um, which is like, I think that that's also how they classify Shilajit. Is that yeah. right? Matt? Yeah. And with and that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And with And so, um, yeah, anacyclus was also shown in some studies to increase 
fertility. So it's obviously non-suppressive. It's not going to shut down the testicular axis in any way. Um, and yeah, in, in terms of how subjectively I felt, so increase in appetite, that's something I've noticed with other um, things that stimulate testosterone production. I, I got that effect from um, the nasal spray, Kiss Peptin, which is a, a uh, it's like a peptide-based um, GnRH releasing agent. Um, but yeah, our carcro route was powerful. So that's number one. And then number two for me would be um, Fedosia agrestis. I only just recently acquired like a high quality Fedosia extract and I tried a bunch of different ones um, and hardly any of them had any effect. Um, but this latest one that I tried, subjectively, I felt like, I mean, in the gym, I, I honestly noticed like massive increases in strength. I felt a lot stronger um, and also I looked a lot fuller. Like it's difficult for my body to hold water retention. Like I've always had an issue with like maintaining fluids in my body, but I noticed that had a fluid maintaining effect and a almost like a cell volumizing effect probably has some vasodilators in, in there, but they're like, yeah, that'd be my top two. Nice. That's cool. There's a couple of things that people need to be aware of as well. Um, if you've got a zinc deficiency or a selenium deficiency, you're going to have hormonal chaos with your androgens. You can't make the hormones to start with, but also you can't control the conversion pathways. So to have a stable state-based foundation as well as good sleep and that, make sure you're not deficient in zinc. Um, one of the other tips I want to give people is there are so many supplements out there that can actually be working counteractive to what our plan is. Typically avoid these two main ingredients that I see people doing all the time. And I'm not bagging anything or anyone in particular, but, you know, if the cat fits. Um, <laughs> again, um, so deaspartic acid. Deaspartic acid was always promoted as something to build testosterone because in one paper they could show a dose that built testosterone. The same paper showed that if you keep taking it after two weeks, it starts activating aromatase and everything like that, converting that testosterone to estrogen. So the net effect of deaspartic acid was a slight surge in testosterone initially, but then a systemic increase in estrogen. The one that bugs me the most is actually diendolmethane or DIM. Um, DIM yeah. is marketed as an estrogen detoxifier because it's a downstream metabolite of a thing that actually did that, which was indole-3-carbonyl. Indole-3-carbonyl is the sulfurous compound, the smell that comes out of broccoli when we're farting and eating. And so not typically the same <laughs> Don't eat your broccoli farts. But you know what I mean. Um, so the sulfurous compound that comes out of brassica species is a volatile gas that doesn't last very long. Hopefully. <laughs> no, so anyway, so indole-3-carbonyl does detoxify, change the estrogen detoxification pathways. Diendolmethane doesn't necessarily do that. But what we've been using DIM or diendolmethane for for years is an androgen receptor blocker. It's a well-known anti-androgen. So it does not, the net effect of that is actually blocking testosterone. So people will often, most test, boss, test boosters and estrogen modifying products on the market will combine those two ingredients. So if you're doing all the stuff, icing your balls, you're doing your sprinting, you're sleeping well and that sort of stuff, 
You don't want all your effects counteracted by zinc deficiency and supplementing with those other ingredients that are going to have the exact opposite effect. Mm -hmm. Even though the bottles that they're sold in will often say test booster, estrogen detox and that sort of stuff, they don't do it. Wow, that's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's, I see it all the time. It bugs me because, you know, we do all this work to try to get these people doing everything and then you realise that they've just gone in and bought something else as well and they're just loading up on these big doses of things that's just screwing the protocol. Yeah. So for you, Lucas, if you could if you could give some advice to the listeners, um, just some very simple things like just rattle off, you know, um, maybe a couple of things that you would say do on a daily basis physically, take a couple of these things on a regular basis. It could be food, could be herbs, um, just to, you know, become, uh, yeah, a little bit, have a bit more vitality and, and increase that, you know, the ability to bump up that natural testosterone without going down the path of something that, is it natural? Yeah, sure. So I'd say first and foremost, um, the consumption of chicken hearts or, um, or organ meats in general, um, due to their, the fact that they're very rich in highly bioavailable nutrients, um, chicken hearts are rich in cholesterol, zinc, B12, um, coenzyme Q10. Um, that's straight away, like straight off the bat for you guys looking to select a food I mean, oysters are oftentimes recommended number one because of their zinc content and also some other elements that are that are powerful in, in oysters. Um, so I'd say, uh, so chicken hearts, potentially even consuming um, royal jelly. There was one pretty cool study on uh, royal jelly consumption increase in the conversion of uh, DHEA into testosterone. Um, and that was, I think it was, they were using two grams of, of royal jelly. And that actually tastes pretty nice you can put that on like on your toast and add some honey to it and um, that tastes amazing honey is another ingredient um rich in flavonoids polyphenols um compounds that can modulate the microbiome which can have a positive effect on body-wide production and um, management of hormones um so honey consumption is also you know beneficial and i would say the other one would be um, to be at least somewhat physically active. Um, obviously, doing some form of strength training is ideal, but even just getting your step count up to like 10,000 to 15,000 steps a day, which I think is the sweet spot. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've had a treadmill desk since the start of lockdown. Um, and actually, the other week, it it actually stopped working and it was, oh, it was an absolute nightmare. I, I almost aborted, almost cancelled every single Zoom meeting because I freaked out. I just couldn't, can't survive without my treadmill. Oh, no. Can I tell you a quick story? I did a podcast or an interview or something. I don't know what we we're doing with Lucas, but he was on his treadmill, but it was lagging. And so what was happening, we're talking, and then what was happening, that was lag, and like Lucas was going really slow. And like, look at, and then it would catch up, and he'd be like, oh, and, he's like, and then it would slow down again. He's like, oh, then it's catching up, and like, again, I was a child, so I couldn't stop laughing. That's so good. <laughs> oh, just with the honey and that too, the other thing too, propolis has got so many benefits. I used to try to source chrysin out of propolis. Chrysin's a very good aromatase inhibitor, stops the conversion of testosterone to estrogen, used to use it for man boobs and that sort of stuff. Yeah, mate, that's awesome. So, look, I think we've covered some amazing uh, tonic herbs, some amazing practices that we can put into play that people have access to. And we've got access, most people have access to, you know, getting some ice. Yeah, mm -hmm. most people have, you know, to a degree, access to getting in a sauna. Um, some, if you live in parts of the world that 
don't have that much sunlight, it's unfortunate, but do your best. Um, you can always order a, you know, and you know, maybe a juve light or something like that to maybe give that a crack. Um, but then just looking at things like, you know, you know, Shilajit, Tonkat Ali, Fulvic Minerals, yeah. and then the ones that I absolutely can't pronounce, the ones that you mentioned there, Lucas, there's some really cool ways that you can, you know, <laughs> try and go big and strong. Um, and sprint, sprint, sprinting and lifting weights. Um, get good sleep and don't be deficient in zinc. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Lots of shagging in that too. Can I just have one thing? I don't know if you noticed this in the research because someone asked it, because I'm asking for a friend. Um, shagging. And that sort of stuff, like sex and porn and that sort of thing, like like actual sex increases testosterone. What about practicing when you're alone? Have you seen any data about what's that? There was one study, yeah, where they um, so uh, no fap for seven days, so yeah. not uh, not masturbating for seven days. There's like apparently a massive spike in testosterone on day seven. Yeah, I think the Chinese did that too. I think that's part of their protocols leading into competition. They weren't allowed, yeah, that they're on that type of time frame. They had a time frame of when they had to, you know, uh, avoid it. And then they also had to follow those other protocols as well. Um, and there was only, only one other thing I wanted to mention because I forgot to mention earlier. When we talked about the sunlight on the bores, that UVB stuff, that actual form of UV light doesn't get through glass and that. So you can't do it behind yeah, the window. Yeah. You've actually got to be out like mm -hmm. downward dog in the sun. Yeah. Right. Come down the beach with me tomorrow. Yeah, let's go. Got some footage. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Lucas. Well, we're going to wrap up episode 13, talking all things natural testosterone uh, with Lucas from Ergogenic Health. Mate, thank you so much for coming aboard. We really appreciate it. And I think the listeners have gained a ton of cool information that they can, you know, take away and digest and figure out which things are going to work into their lifestyle as much as we can. And yeah, we'll uh, look forward to I think we're getting you on to our next episode as well, uh, which will be a week after this one. Um, we're going to be talking about some other really cool things. So if you guys um, are looking to find Lucas, Lucas, where can we find you? Um, search Boost Your Biology on YouTube. That's my YouTube channel. Just go over there and subscribe and just dive deep into my YouTube videos. Um, and then also... They can check out my Instagram, ergogenic underscore health. Um, but yeah, all the great content, all the best, my very best material. Just, yeah, check it out on uh, on my YouTube channel. Make sure you like and subscribe too, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Lucas. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, gents. Thanks, man.